Hello, sales heroes. So we just wrapped up an amazing two days of Culture Starter sales training in St. Louis. And I want to thank those of you who came and the Sherpa team for making it happen. The conversations were so inspiring and I just can't wait for the next one in Clearwater, Florida. We're doing something a little different this week for the podcast. I wanted to cover a topic that we talk a lot about but still get questions all the time. What makes a great creative follow-up? It's an important topic because sending CFUs is one of the key activities that makes a best sales performer get more move-ins. You can read all about it and see the data report on SherpaCRM.com. So this week I'm releasing an edited version of a webinar I did a couple of years ago with Sherpa's co-founder David Smith, hosted by our national training director Reed Davis. It's all about CFUs. What makes a CFU truly special and effective? How do you plan and prepare an impactful follow-up? Remember, despite the name, perhaps the most important part of a creative follow-up isn't necessarily how creative it is, but how personalized and relevant you can make it for your prospect. If you've already seen the webinar, available on our website, you may still want to listen as a refresher. If you haven't seen it, I hope you learned something new from my discussion with David. If you have questions or want to suggest any topics for the future, reach out to me at askalex at sherpacrm.com. Let's get right into it. Hello, everyone. Well, it's a lot of you. Um, so honored that you chose to spend this time with us. We really appreciate it. Um, look, more now more than ever, it is so important for all of us that are living in, in different degrees of isolation to feel seen, uh, to have mirrors, to, to have connection uh, more than ever. Uh, at least it is for me personally. And um, so it's very apropos to our sort of subject today of creative follow-up, uh, which is um, this incredible uh, tool that we have to do just that, to be able to show our prospects that we actually see them. So what do they, what, what do they need from us? And when we say prospect, please keep in mind that we're talking about the entire circle, the buying circle, or the sphere of, of decision makers and different people that are within the family circle, and also sometimes a professional referral source that, that are invested in helping a person transition from their home somewhere else, because things obviously are not working very well. So when we say prospect, we talk about primarily about the person that will have to sort of pay the highest price uh, to, to buy, which is the prospect themselves. They have to make that emotional leap of leaving their home, their identity, et cetera, to come to our communities. And what do they need in order for, for us to facilitate that change? And also there are adult children who, as you all know, and I don't need to tell you, are struggling, are confused, are um, conflicted, uh, don't really know what to say to their parent, and they have their own burdens, their own family, their own caregiving roles. So these people that we have the honor to serve need connection, number one, um, just like we all do, and especially now at this time. They need our trust. 
They need to trust us. They need for us to understand what's important to them. They need for us to help them engage in meaningful conversations. And they need our guidance. And they need us to present options that are tailored to them and to their particular stage. So this is so foundational, right? It's foundational to prospect-centered selling, but it's foundational to selling anything to anyone because no longer do prospects need information. Um, information, we have an overload of information from all kinds of sources. What we need is for the seller, for us representing our communities to show uh, that we understand what they need. Um, I, I wanted to give you a, hey, David, hi. I forgot to introduce you. Here's David. And I wanted, I wanted to give everyone some background about where did this come from? And you are kind of the inventor of CFU and um, wanted to give you a little history. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Um, in 1988, I was 38 years old and with a partner opened up a large rental community that's still in St. Louis now called the Gatesworth. And high-end, first in the market. He was going to build it, and I was going to fill it up because I had sold residential real estate. I had some in-laws at the time that were uh, involved in skilled nursing. And so what I did was try to figure out how to sell senior housing the same way I had sold real estate. And I had all kinds of floor plans, information on the product, on the benefits. I could match benefits with anybody um, in terms of there really was no competition. The competition was condominiums and apartments. And so um, when things really slowed down and I was trying to figure out how to be able to accelerate sales, what things could I do? What behaviors could I engage in or activities that would boost sales conversions? I had two models to go to. One was the real estate model that I was very familiar with that really didn't work very well. And the second was from skilled nursing, because that's what most of the people in the industry were used to, which really amounted to passive order taking, take people with severe needs that the state is going to pay for most of them, and will they choose your place or someplace else? So in search of a better way to convert, I started thinking about the prospect as being the center instead of the transaction, the real estate, or the care, and that it was really about change. And the two most impactful tactics, so the strategy was to help people get ready, go to where the people are, acknowledge, validate who they are, and help them get ready. And the tactics, the two most impactful tactics were home visits and creative follow-up. And that's really where it started. It started out of a need to figure out how to get higher conversions. And even 30 years ago, and then 20 years for me when I joined, uh, when I joined you, uh, it, it, it's amazing in this little graphic that you had created years and years ago, you know, back then, uh, you know, it shows the prospect in this island of isolation. It's, it's sort of a, a metaphor for the isolation, the, how they're cut off from the rest of the world. And, and that becomes more and more um, evident. And so the, the gesture of us going to, and not just physically going to in a home visit, or right now you can do porch visits, going to them, also emotionally going to them and really validating that is, is, is really so apropos 30 years later now more than ever. I also remember how um, when we would go to conference and you talk about creative follow-up or home visits, people would in the industry would look at you like you had two heads. 
and 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 it's it's really uh, really comforting and really exciting that now more forward thinking operators are, are are seeing how how impactful this can be and they're adopting it when we only have penetration of 10% of the available market if everyone did this it would be a great thing it just expand our overall penetration rates it's good for everybody it is it is so what is it it's a proactive and by proactive, I mean, this is something that you can always do. You don't need somebody to call you. You don't need to be reactive or respond to something. Most follow-up in our industry had to do with like somebody asks me to send them something or it's something that you're responding to, uh, reacting to, but this is something that you can do proactively, um, just all on your own with your team. Skilled nursing is even worse because people come and you react. You literally react. Right. So what is it? It is a proactive, personalized gesture. It doesn't necessarily have to be a gift. It, ha it can be a gesture. It can be a, uh, something you buy but, or something you make or something you think and then you execute. It's a gesture um, that says, I see you just as you are. I want to acknowledge, validate, and show you that I care about that. And the more that we know, the better. It's not about what you do, it's about your intention. And so if we can all get very clear about what our intention to do a creative follow-up is, it's, it's, it's that. It's about showing the person that you understand something that's really important to them or that used to be important to them and you demonstrate that. Um, here's what it isn't. It's not just like, okay, well, if we want a grand gesture for mom, let's just make spaghetti, that's easy. And we all kind of tend to gravitate towards things that are easy so that we can then send it to a bunch of people and make it, um, and, you know, insert their name, personalize it a little bit, but then it fits. It's not a one size fits all. That's only good. There's, there's like nothing that. wrong with that, by the way. Like a no, lot of nothing, communities nothing. are doing COVID baskets and things like that, which is, um, is perfectly okay. It just isn't sales. It isn't, it isn't sales, it won't be as effective. And just think about your own self. Think about getting something tailored made versus buying a one size fits all. And when, when you tailor something to that person, we all have different body types and it looks good on a person, but not on another person. And sometimes, you know, we send pies to a diabetic or we assume and so that's all creative marketing, lead nurturing, and that's great, but that is not what we mean by creative follow-up. And the more that you understand how to, to do this personalization, um, the more impactful results you'll have. The thing is, both are good. What we're talking about is what impacts sales conversion ratios. Correct. So here's some bullet points. It fosters a sense of connection and trust. It helps the prospect feel seen and cared about, promotes their motivation for change, and demonstrates the, our intention to be a guide, to, to get to know them, to celebrate them rather than sell them our product. And it has to be authentic, of course. And many other things. It acts as a silent seller. When you send something that speaks to a person's um, issue or problem, um, and, and it's there and you see that, you, and they see that you've acknowledged it, it's just, it stays there. Even when you're not calling or you're not touring, the person is still, is still there. I remember 
we had a conversation with Mrs. Kinsella, for example, and she she said, Alex, I'm not ready to move. Um, there's so much stuff here in the house and it just feels like I have this emotional inertia. It feels like I need to move an elephant and I don't have the strength. And so we sent her a little newsletter and we did a research and we said moving the elephant and everything about emotional inertia. And, and she didn't contact us for a while. And then the son called after they had uh, made a decision to move. And she said, he said to me, Alex, you know, my mom had this thing about the elephant next to her um, on her side table, on her night table. And, and she used to read it all the time. And she said that it really helped her uh, overcome that. So, so that's kind of one example of the power of it. It has a persuasive power when you're not even there. Correct. That's what you call the silent seller. So does it work? No. It does. It, it's, we've proven that at le- the presence of at least one creative follow-up increased conversions from 22% to 37%. So it is absolutely impactful. And again, depending on how much you know, it's going to be more and more impactful. So how personal, how intimate should my creative follow-up be? Well, it depends on how well you know the person, right? So the level of knowledge and trust that you have with that prospect will dictate what your creative follow-up is. So if somebody, if you don't know much about them and it's just after a first inquiry, you may think about sending a handwritten note of your intention. Uh, Your intention, uh, who are you as a salesperson? What is your intention for them? Uh, You're there for them. You're there to guide them whether they choose to move or not. Your intention to get to know them better without agendas. Uh, It also is important to consider what the prospect's stage of readiness to make a move is. Before you get there, can I go to knowledge real quick? And that is, it is not how much situational information that we have or background information we have about the prospect. The level of knowledge is about the emotions that drive their decision-making. How do they see their role? How do they feel about the situation that they're in? What kinds of things are they concerned about? All on an emotional level, what's at the core of their stories? And before you get there, because you're not going to get there right away, obviously. No. Uh, right? Time. So you have to establish that you're there to try to figure that out. And you're not there to just, you know, offer the tour. And now you can't offer the tour. You offer the virtual tour. And then what? You don't have any more trips in your bag. So... So, you know, great time for doing that. The prospects, so our pipeline talks about prospects in different stages of readiness. Um, And many of you may be still using hot, warm colds. So what we mean by a stage of readiness, the colds and the warms are the best uh, because they have different emotional, um, they're in different emotional places in their journey of change. And they have different feelings about, about that. So if you are able to consider that, consider whether, you know, they're still very much stuck in the past and, you know, they don't know whether they'll ever move or whether they are going to move, but they're scared of when. So they're a when issue or they're in planning. Use that to figure out what the best possible creative follow-up is. Also their personality, their sense of humor, um, you know, we, we need to be kind of chameleons. We need to adapt and adjust to their style, uh, certainly. 
So um, it's all about, again, keeping the focus on them. And then whether you're reaching out to the prospect themselves or the adult child, uh, there's so many great things that we could be doing now for adult children, like helping them collect legacy stories from their parents, um, just be right there with them to come up with innovative ways in which they can uh, engage their parents at this time. And also whether you're reaching out to a professional referral source. Uh, what's really great and impactful is to make that professional referral source after they made a referral to you and, and you have now a resident is to show them that uh, their referral has made an impact on that resident's life. So some updates, um, a picture of that resident engaged, even a little video of that resident saying, hey, thank you for getting me here. I love it here, etc." So lots of different things that you can do. Again, putting yourself in that professional referral in that outreach uh, person's shoes, how do you make them feel like what they've done has made an impact on somebody else? So that's really at the core, at the heart of creative follow-up. Just to, uh, again, foundationally explain how it helps us through our sales process, which simply has three stages, the connection stage where we open up and we put there that uh, put in front of the prospect that sort of safe space for them to talk about what's going on without us trying to sell them and offer solutions right away. Um, then that process of untangling and getting in these deep conversations in which they can become more and more aware of what they need to do and you're helping them do that. And then finally, the advances are the closest. Now, advances in terms of trust can be uh, really important. We also found in our data that most, you know, most advances pre-COVID that have been logged in our, in, in our, in our uh, database had to do with agree to a tour. Now we are seeing this incredible um, amount of advances that have to do with trust breakthroughs, which is an advance. And the way that you get a trust breakthrough is through an impactful personal creative follow-up. So here's some examples, David. So for example, what kinds of things can we do when we know very little and we need to just build trust and connection? I you have already spoken about statement of intention. You have, and send a picture of yourself or your team or a virtual video now where you can just talk and introduce yourself. Um, legacy reflections are terrific. And that's where you take the history. You, this is looking backwards because creative follow-up can be oriented towards what used to be, what is now, or what's coming in the future. This is looking back and taking the story like we did with Merle, who was a biologist that created all kinds of wonderful writings and never got recognition, giving him a certificate with a Nobel Prize and a list of names of the things that he had uh -huh. uh, created and founded. Food for the soul. Food is so much more than food for all of us, isn't it? It just raises emotional connections and stories and familiarity with the past. That's why your mom's, my mom wasn't a great cook, but your mom may have been and had a great recipe that's been with the family that means a lot more than just what's on the plate. Um, I remember once for creative follow-up, there was a lady who, her and her husband had been Holocaust survivors. He, 
he was mid to late stage dementia and she was trying her best to take care of him um, on their own. They were having family over for a Passover Seder and they, she just didn't have time. She started crying. She put her hand on my, her head on my shoulder and started crying. I just don't have the time or the energy to make the chicken soup. So I went and made some chicken soup for her um, and brought it. And she told me that it was pretty good, but I did, hadn't strained the vegetables. That's how she liked it. So I went back and made another pot of chicken soup. Food for the soul. Something tied to an experience. Right. I remember also uh, somebody, I think it was in Ohio, or, or that had grown up eating a certain ice cream. Was it Greiton? Uh, Great Graters. Graters ice cream. And they, they weren't able to get Graters ice cream. And I think we, we bought it. We had it shipped in dry ice and delivered to him. And it was huge. So these things, uh, these things can be incredibly impactful when you know when you when you do things like that. I we just did something for somebody now who's pending move in, um, and we did it virtually with the chef cooking and a boy a soft boiled egg for him. He said, "There's such bad chefs here." He said, "What would you like for us to show you to demonstrate that we understand the nature of cooking?" He said, "Boil a perfect soft boiled egg." <laughs> so the chef did, and we sent him the video. He signed up. You send them a video of the chef making the perfect soft boiled egg. One of the best tools for creative follow-up, I can't find my phone right now, but it's your phone. I mean, it's, it's videos or if you have the one day video app or, you know, just, um, and make it really, really, really personal um, in the sense that you don't have to brand it so much. Um, so, so, so that's really cool. Uh, writing a poem. Uh, I'm a terrible writer, but but it's about bringing your your own talents, and you don't have to be creative. I mean, if you're talented at something, if you like to write, if you like um, if you like to draw, like I do, if if you're good at something or baking or whatever it is, then then think about ways that you can use those skills to show uh, a particular prospect uh, that you get it, that you understand. I remember Mary Tweedy's uh, puzzle. You had a conversation with her. She was a cold lead. I picked it up. I was just new to the community. She had a very short conversation with me. I dragged it out to about five minutes. I learned about 20 things about her, one of which she loved crossword puzzles. Found an app, made a crossword puzzle for her, um, and sent it out. She thought it was great, just using those 20 words. And sometimes you can just solve the problem. Um, we were driving, uh, I remember a prospect that wouldn't, you know, we just met him on the porch, but we raked our leaves um, so that, uh, and she then- She wouldn't let us in the house. We brought her an apple pie and she wouldn't for even accept the apple pie. So driving back, this was two counselors came back and noticed her yard was in awful shape, raked the leaves, picked everything up. Before they left, she said, oh, come on in and have a slice of apple pie. So those are gestures. Uh, it could be something tangible like food, um, a certificate. I think it's also important for us to build a creative follow-up library in our communities where we have uh, certain items handy and available so that we can send um, a, a personalized Merle Lute with the Nobel Prize. I mean, he had this, this is the one thing that he brought to the community after he decided to move, after leaving a three bedroom or three floor apartment to moving to a studio. 
he brought the little framed Nobel Prize that we gave him uh, as a recognition that he had never gotten recognition for all of his work. So, so they can be minor, they don't have to cost anything, especially now with our phones, with the internet, and uh, with all the time that we have to really put our, our intention, our hearts into it. Uh, that's really the idea. Uh, in terms of being able to untangle is helping bring them bring their le legacy or help show them through creative follow-up, how can they continue to be themselves uh, in the community? And by that, I mean, for example, there was a prospect that really loved jazz and he would go to community college and teach jazz. And of course, what we did is we created a, a program in which he once a month gave a lecture on jazz, uh, for example, and then we showed him that. Um, we communicated that with a certificate. And here's our new, you know, if you move in, here's going to be your jazz. Um, you know, we invite you to give these lectures. Um, there was uh, a prospect that uh, made wooden ducks and he was unbelievable. He was so fun. And we got his ducks. I mean, we bought all the ducks. <laughs> no, we didn't we buy them. In, we put them in our gift shop. Yeah, we sold them in the gift shop and then we put one of the ducks um, on display in our cabinetry. And he could then see that there was a part of him that could bring. And, and then we're gonna show you how we um, also did that for, for Paula and that's coming next. Another um, incredible thing that you could do that is um, this generous, uh, it's, it's also about generosity, right? Gift giving is not about buying the expensive gift. It's about your generosity of spirit. And one of the most generous things you can do, and I know that this will sound completely counterintuitive to everything that we know about sales, is to help your prospects maybe see other options, although they've already seen them, trust me. Uh, maybe to stay home or to go to a competitor. Um, David, do you remember you sent, um, I'm not going to say the name, but this prospect uh, that had problems with the stairs, uh, a brochure about where to buy the chairlift. Yeah. And he said, oh, this stuff is too expensive. I thought about it. I don't want it. But that No, Medicare will pay for it. You'd be <laughs> all right, Stan. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I remember a lady in a prospect, Esther, who was unbelievably fantastic but she i know she really really liked to swim and we didn't have a pool we had a very nice connection together and her son wanted her to explore more options so i took her to a competitor that did have a pool and a shiny new community and i said esther we'll go together i'll show you and you know ultimately prospects choose to move to our community and choose to move earlier than when they have a crisis, when we've demonstrated that, that we actually do care about them, that we care about something very specific about them and that we're willing in, with a generous spirit to let go of the results. And when you let go of the results, which is them moving with us eventually, uh, the result comes. So that's really what's magic about creative follow-up. This is a little example of me using my limited talents here, but this was a prospect that really loved to decorate his notes. 
um, oh, he was not ready. Trust me. He said, oh, maybe in five years I'm going to move. And he, um, you know, we did a number of things and we had some great conversations, uh, but there was no way that we could come visit him. There was no way that he, he was closed up. Um, but he really loved to decorate his, his notes. So I sent him a decorated note myself uh, saying that I was inspired by him because I was. And um, guess what? He called me and he says, oh, come on over. Uh, this was a way to ask for a home visit. Now I'm interested in seeing, um, just getting to know you. I never met this person personally. So here's an example of how you can use uh, this mirroring uh, that you can do. Um, and the mirroring also has to do with listening. For example, um, I had a conversation with a prospect where, where we had quite a bit of trust built already. And I said, Maury, what are you waiting for? You know, what are you waiting for? I'm just curious what you're waiting for. He says, oh, gosh, I guess I'm waiting for my ship to come in. And so we sent him a ship. Your ship has come in. And he, he had a great sense of humor. He laughed. He called. He says, you guys are impossible. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> you know, he, he came over. And so, so as you can see, it's not necessarily that we're going to give you some canned ideas, although we can do that. And you guys have all had some great ideas. But let your prospects inspire your ideas. And you don't have to know everything. But something that's important to the person or to the adult child right now at this time and then, and then go for it, execute on it. If you can do two of these a day, much less three, you're having a really good day with follow-up because they take time and they take emotional energy, but they're also amongst the most enjoyable parts of what I do as a, as a leasing counselor. All right, Reed, we did it. You did, great job. If you have questions for David and Alex, um, please send them in on our Q&A section down below and we'll get those addressed. But uh, I wanted to start with Deborah. So Deborah asked or, or said, prior to COVID, there was some reluctance to share home addresses. Um, she feels like now there's even more reluctance to do so. Uh, do you have any techniques for getting that information um, mm -hmm. so that you're not, you can make them feel safe um, and unintrusive? Mm. See, the thing is, when somebody tries to cut in front of you in line and says uh, they don't understand your intentions for asking, then they will be reluctant to share. I think it, if somebody is reluctant to share something, you haven't built enough trust yet. They don't know what your intention is for that address. So it's like, oh, you're going to send me stuff. I don't want to hear it. I don't want you to try to buy me with your gifts. And that's, that's a natural reaction. So... If they're not yet willing to share their address, do something different. Um, maybe something that you send via email. Maybe it's a link to something. But be patient because building trust takes time. And people need to understand that they can trust you first. So if you're asking for an address, say, look, this is, as a, tell them why. I, I was thinking, Mrs. Jones, that I really would love um, I heard you say that, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I really would like to see if you would, wouldn't mind receiving this. If you wouldn't mind sharing your address, I would love to be able to send it to you. When people ask for your address, uh, I have a natural reaction to say no. 
And I know that the intention behind it is they want to send me something. But, you know, you have to be respectful of this idea that they don't know, they don't know why you want it. So let them know why you want it. Has there ever been a time when a creative follow-up backfired or evoked a negative response from a prospect? And how did you handle that afterwards? <laughs> yes, sometimes I suppose it happens. But the most, I remember one time uh, I sent this, I knew this prospect, she was getting together with her family. I sent her a pie and somebody else had already sent her a pie. This was way back when, when we were sending a lot of pies because the Gatesworth was famous for its pies. So we did a lot of pies. And <laughs> she called me and she was pretty upset. She says, no more pies, you know, because she, she felt obligated and she didn't want to receive any more pies. And what I did was something pretty gutsy. I sent her yet another pie. <laughs> I know it sounds crazy. I had the kind of trust and I said, look, this is just, um, this is just to apologize for sending you a pie. And, and she laughed. Uh, but no, seriously, if, if, again, it's all about intention. Um, if you remember that lady, remember that lady who I sent her, I forgot exactly what the follow-up was. It was some kind of personalized response. And her niece called, sent over a, uh, I didn't know it was her niece, a cease and desist order. Hmm. It was handwritten on a piece of paper. And it was so silly as an attorney, I knew for sure that this came from somebody else. But, uh, but my, I knew exactly what my intention was in sending the follow-up. I couldn't imagine it had that response. So I just called her and said, you know, I just received this letter. Do you know anything about it? And she said, what letter? I read it to her and she said, oh my God, don't pay any attention to that. Thank you so much. Yeah, and you know, we have to get over, I mean, I had to get over my own fear of uh, coming across as, as too personal or coming across as something that I was doing something that wasn't commensurate with the relationship we had or the lack thereof. So, the the way that I um, remember the cat basket, the first cat basket. Yeah, you so, yeah, I was supposed to go and send a give a cat basket to a lady that I didn't know anything about, and I drove over to her house to deliver a cat basket, and I felt horrible. I felt like, what am I doing with this? Am I trying to buy her? And I remember my own fear of of intimacy and rejection was what got in the way. Sometimes. You know, it's that, it's our fear of intimacy and rejection. And it's our fear of like them thinking that, well, what is this person doing? That's not how salespeople behave. So I get that. And we need to transcend that, that stuff, I think, in order for us to really get to the next level of sales expertise, of understanding that this is truly an emotional sale. Hopefully you all understand that by now. Um, if we don't, if we want to be able to truly convert people that don't have that high care need urgency and we want to really help others in other words people that inquire of us and are in our lead base are thinking about spending the rest of our lives with us there's nothing more intimate than that right and we're there to sell them apartments or are we there to demonstrate what their whole life their whole next chapter of their life is going to be like but demonstrating to them what our intention is uh, to, to uh, make sure that they can live their lives as them, as themselves. And that's what most people fear. That's why they're not moving. It's like, I can't be me over there. 
And, then, know, and the creative follow-up both reinforces through the legacy statements their past mm -hmm. and reinforce their present and what's going on now through experiences with food and so forth. And you can also project, we can see how you'll be, we can help you explore how you'll be in the future. So, I don't know, I'm reading the questions now, so I'm going to let you read, manage that. But there's one about like when people say, don't contact me anymore. Yeah, I'm going to move there, but stop stop trying to. Sometimes you can feel, uh, so there's a principle, Cialdini's principle of reciprocity. And sometimes people feel if you're, if you're overdoing it, uh, or if you're giving something that people don't feel they can reciprocate, they, they can't feel, um, you know, that they don't want it because I, I can't do something nice for you and you're doing all these nice things for me. So I've also important. noticed, I've also noticed, Alex, that the less personalized the, the gesture is, the more mass produced it is, the more likely you are to get the stop sending me the stuff. Yeah. Like I don't want the COVID rescue basket. I don't, you know, I get it, you know, I get you guys are really nice, but this is not for me and I don't want it and leave me alone. Um, but what if you sent them a little handwritten poem? Do you think they're going to say, stop sending me handwritten poems or anything else that's, that's just small that says, I see you, I remember you. Again, um, it's about your intention. Uh, maybe send them a little handwritten note. I didn't mean to, you know, overwhelm you with all these gifts. Uh, I totally respect your your need to stop the contact. In the meantime, here's a picture of me and my photo and my phone number. Should you need anything, please call me and then leave it alone and move on. One of my favorite creative follow-ups, and it wasn't done by me, it was done by a, a team member of mine, was they had somebody who had toured that spoke uh, uh, Italian. And so she Googled how to write her thank you card in Italian and sent it. Exactly. The power exactly. of the internet is, is vast and wide when it comes to that. I, I love this question from Jen about marketing automation and prospect-centered selling. So there's this notion that we have um, explored a lot and that we use a lot, which is in essence prospect-centered marketing. Um, and, and it has to do with how do we send something that's marketing that resonates with the person, that the person, I don't think you can. I don't think you, I don't like this, hey, dear Alex, blah, blah, blah. And I know it's not for me. I know that it's, it's nice and maybe it's apropos of my situation, but these people don't know me. And you can tell that right away. I think you, you all can tell when something is, is, is a marketing automation. Sometimes they get you. And you think, oh, this is somebody I really know. And then you don't. And then you, you're, you know, you're inclined to, to dismiss it. Unless it has, it's, a, it's a, an honest email that has something, some information, some resource, and it doesn't pretend an intimacy or a connection or a relationship that you don't have. So my, my beef with marketing automation is that when it tries to get clever and pretend that we have a connection we don't have. So I think that it has a potential of turning you off. But there are many things that you could do that are appropriate to a stage of readiness, maybe some information regarding staying safely at home or you know, depending again on, on a smaller list that's more targeted. If you have Sherpa use smaller lists in terms of their stage of readiness, you can do a messaging that has to do with 
staying home or it has to do with certain concerns or fears about moving. And then you personalize the content, not the, not the address line. Um, one thing I wanted to, to give you guys here is Jamie had sent in and said something that she's finding really helpful is that with our prospects that have uh, their furry friends living at home with them, that she's sending pictures of her with her pets to them and that it's opening up that line of communication. That's all. Um, so many people want to know if you accept pets at your community. Yeah. You know, in other, in other words, try to take off your sales uniform and, and, and be as personal as you can because why not? You know, yeah. we all need connection right now. You need connection. And you have there a bunch of people in your lead base that also need connection. And what a great opportunity to, to do that right now. So the, the prospect will tell you what they need. Um, and you'll come up with ideas. The more, again, personalized, the better. I beat that dead horse again. We've also sent, at one time I remember we sent tips from somebody's dog who was a resident's dog and just did a dog to dog. <laughs> yeah, tips from Fido, I remember from that. Fido, that's what it was. Tips from Fido, I remember. That was cool. Um, I wanted to thank everybody for joining us today. I wanted to thank David and Alex for all of your insight and sharing your, your wisdom. And thank you to everybody who sent in uh, questions and, and information. We, we love to see the creative follow-up. It's one of my absolute favorite parts of this process. So, All right, cool. So yeah. if you have any suggestions for topics, um, let us know. Go to the Sherpa LinkedIn page. Uh, follow us if you're not, and then you'll see that we're, we're going to continue to post. But we need you. We need your feedback. All right. Thanks, you everybody. Stay very safe out there. Uh, take care of yourselves and your loved ones and stay heroic. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, everyone.